We are in Champions League, man. That was my Dilly din, dilly dong, come on. I will love it if we beat them. Love it. This is the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast with Gary Kearney. Hello, welcome to the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. My name is Gary Kearney. Joining us for this episode is Luke Chadwick, former Manchester United player and now working with Football Fun Factory. Amazing insight. And this is a continuation almost from our last conversation with Jack Rolfe last week talking about decision-making, creativity and youth environments. And Luke does a brilliant job in almost reverse engineering the process from life at Manchester United to an experience for a four, five, six-year-old learning the game, enjoying the game, falling in love with the game. You're going to love this here. Please tell everyone what you think at Modern Soccer Coach on Instagram, at Modern Soccer Coach on Twitter. Lots of new stuff on the Modern Soccer Coach website, ebooks, books piece books, webinars, PDFs, free information too, some free PDFs we've put up there, 4v4 plus 3, and some Eric Ten Hag work as well, modernsoccercoach.com slash shop. Hope you enjoy it. Thanks for the support. Here is Luke. Enjoy. Luke, thanks so much for joining me today on the Modern Soccer Coach podcast. Really, really excited to have you on. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Excited to um, to talk to you, Gary. We've been on a bit of a run in, in terms of our episodes and our, our titles about creativity in the game today. And... I was really excited to chat to you because obviously I just told you there, I watched a lot of you growing up. I was a big United fan growing up. You were a creative player in one of the top clubs. So I can only imagine what you would have been like at under 14, under 16 level. 25 years later, these creative dribblers and elite decision makers that we're calling today, they're like, they're like hen's teeth. They're like the holy grail for youth coaches. So looking back, what was what was it about your game? The coaching at United apparently was very, very good at the youth levels. But how much of that developed you or how much of the streets developed you? Yeah, I think the way that, that I played football from a young age was like a playground player, obviously playing my mates in the park and the playground at lunchtime at schools. And it was always probably guilty of being called a bit of a bull hog and that sort of thing. But I just loved having the ball at my feet, loved running with it. I was a striker through my schoolboy school days, so sort of scored a lot of goals. And it was probably them early successes that give me the the confidence to really push on. I think back when I was a kid growing up, we never sort of went into academies or anything like that. We'd play for our school's teams, we'd play for our grassroots teams and probably wouldn't seriously sign for a club till under 14 level where you'd sign a, a schoolboy form. So I think the way that I played and probably a lack of coaching, more sort of just going out and playing taught me a hell of a lot in terms of how to play football, when to run with a ball, when to release a ball and whatnot. And I think I went up to Man United and signed for them as a as a 14-year-old in their under-15 setup, and sort of spend the weekends up there while I was still at school playing for the team. So it was more the game being the teacher. I think when, we, when I got up there full-time as a 16-year-old, it was all the 
the little bits. I think I was probably guilty of not certainly not being the best out of possession. And my strength was sort of in possession, having the ball, running with the ball. And it was sort of that coaching and that learnings of knowing what was expected without the ball. I did probably didn't really know as a schoolboy player growing up that, that I learned the most from. But I think what United were were brilliant at in terms of allowing you a bit to be creative, allowing you to do what you were good at and finding out for yourself to a certain extent when it was the right thing to do, when it wasn't the right thing to do, particularly in the schoolboy programme up there when they wanted everyone to to do what they were good at. If you were a defender and you were good defending, defend. If you was a forward player who loved running with a ball, run with a ball. If you was a great passer, practice doing them passings, particularly in game situations where I think an awful lot of the training as a as a schoolboy and as apprentice at Manchester United, then going into the first team was loads and loads of possession games, match play, small sided games and that sort of thing. And there wasn't a huge amount of sort of tactical coaching towards the whole team. It was more around the the players showing what they're good at and improving what they're good at and then working with the coaches to improve them things that needed to be improved if you were going to to break through and play at a, at a club like that. Yeah, that, that out of possession stuff that you're talking about, them trying to improve you, was that more just work rate and physicality as opposed to structure and different systems and information? Yeah, I think it was more back then, United throughout the age groups from the first team all the way down used to play 4-4-2. So you sort of knew what the shape and structure that the, the team would play in, in regards to shape. It was more that out of possession stuff. I was probably moved out to be a winger in my towards the end of my first year as an apprentice there and knew that I had a great strength of being really fast and being able to run with the ball but didn't know the position out of possession it, it weren't a sort of a a lack of work rate and, and willingness it was more understanding what was expected of a of a wide player where they need to be how they can help that midfield too because obviously it's not like today where that central area is really congested in there in terms of the playing through the lines, getting into little half spaces and whatnot. Then it was back then it was more in possession, wingers get wide to receive the ball. And it was probably that's where I had a an issue of understanding where I'd probably still be too wide when the opposition had the ball and understanding, tucking in, making it a free in midfield when the ball's on the other side. And then when the ball's getting one back to spring out and get I think it was um get chalk on your boots was a shout in back in them days. We'll talk a little bit about the, the football fun factory, obviously, later. This idea of fun and enjoyment and passion and love of the game is something that you've been quite vocal on in, in those interviews that I've listened to. And I was like, over here, there's this, definitely I've experienced it in college, where players at 16, 18, when they move almost from youth levels into competitive play, professional, semi-professional, they, they, there's this... Uh, pattern of falling out of love with the game when it becomes more pressure, more commitment. Did did football ever change you in that regard? Did you did you feel that or experience that? Yeah, I think certainly at times throughout my career it's sort of and I think that's when the the problems come along when it it turns into a job. Obviously you're getting paid to do a job, but in essence it is your passion. It was what the the dream was always to be a footballer, regardless of the sort of rewards that come with it. So I was incredibly fortunate to to experience that and be a football player. 
I think the, there's times when you may be injured, not in the team, and you're, or yeah, sorry, injured or not in the team, and where you're thinking, this is like a job now. All I wanted to do was play football. I'm doing it, but am I really enjoying it? In my, and in my experience, wherever it was when I was 22 years old, 33, 34, coming to the end of my career, I always used to go back to them early days of the why, really. Why are you doing this? And the reason that I was doing it, because I absolutely loved it from the age of starting to play at six, five, six, seven, eight years old and sort of really falling so deeply in love with football. And I think it's always important to go back to the why, particularly you can get caught up in a professional game in contracts. Why is he earning that money and I'm only earning this money and that sort of thing. And it can turn a little bit sour in that respect because in essence, that doesn't really matter. You're in an incredibly fortunate position. And like I say, I'm incredibly grateful to add that opportunity. And I think it is always thinking about the why, why am I doing this and it not turning into a job? Because I think when it does turn into the job and like you allude to there, that you can fall out of love with the game. It's all around why and that, why is that love so strong? And going back to that, when the chips are down, which they certainly can be throughout a footballer career, football's all around massive highs and lowest lows. There's not that much in between. You're always thinking you're the best thing in the world or you're the worst player that's ever played. And it's sort of keeping that happy medium of why you play the game in the first place. Yeah. What do you think coaches can do now when they're... Because society is kind of changed. There's more awareness now around balance and health. What do you think coaches can do now to make sure that when coming, players are coming to elite environments or even competitive environments to make sure that there is or they can connect with that love of the game or that way that you're talking about? Yeah, I think the most important thing for any coach and at any level is that the, the players, the children, whoever it may be you're coaching, they're the most important person. They're the person that your whole energy needs to be directed into. It's not a case of the coach losing the game at under 10, under nine level, because in reality, it doesn't really matter. Matter Children, in essence, are, are naturally competitive. They want to win if they're playing in a game. That's what they want to do. It doesn't always need the coach to, to magnify that and add any pressure. I think it's always... You know, I've done some fantastic courses in the in the UK, done the, um, the advanced youth module, and probably the biggest thing that stood out to me in that was one one of the tutors quoted a um, a quote saying they don't know they don't care how much you know until they know how much you care and I think that is such a a prevalent thing in football where it can be a case of it's just them extremely gifted young people that get all the attention when in essence everyone deserves the same experience the same attention and treating children how they should be treated to develop them not just as football players because we all know that there is a tiny percentage of players that that go through but when they come out of that environment of that elite environment they've had a fantastic experience in it and learned loads of lessons both in a footballing sense but in terms of life lessons as well so I think it's the player always have to come first that's my biggest bit and my biggest learning it's 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 not around you and your sort of getting every coaching point you have to get across in that particular session. It's about watching the children. The session can change in an instant. They might 
be doing one bit fantastically well, but then they can't move on to the next le- the next stage, the next progression. And it doesn't really matter, really, as long as they're coming away from it and they've they've learned. But more importantly, I think that they've enjoyed the session. I think there has to be a sense of enjoyment at every session, at every level. Maybe not always when you're in a first team and you might be doing a set play session that ain't particularly enjoyable. But I think at youth level in particular, there, there can't be any real development without enjoyment, in my opinion. It brings along nicely environments. At Manchester, there's a reputation of this practice. Um, I know Cantona, Ferguson, the stories about that there. When you got there, did you find that it was expected of you to stay behind after training or was it structured or how was that kind of communicated to people? Yeah, I think once when I was in and around the first team, there was no sort of structure behind that. The players would just naturally do it. This was possibly one of the best squads in in Premier League history at the time. And there was obviously the one standout player who'd done a huge amount of extras was David Beckham. And obviously all them free kicks he scored, all them crosses he put in, they weren't by accident. It was the incredible amount of practice that he'd done to do that. And I think sort of growing up, what we were so fortunate fortunate enough, the, the younger players that came through three, four, five years after that class of 92, that we had role models to look up to who just a few years before were where we were sat in the youth team, sat as an apprentice and sort of we could aspire to them. And because they were not a huge amount older than us, we had the ability to to see them and use them. And I think that's what in professional football, you need them, them role models and people that have gone through the system and are now flourishing that system that gives them younger players so much belief that perhaps it is possible. Perhaps we can get there as a, as young players, we were always sort of expected to work on our weaknesses. I spent a huge amount of time working on my left foot with the, with the coaches because I was playing left wing at the time. I used to be really good at, running past players, getting to the byline, but then I'd end up kicking out of play when I got there. So it's really working on them individual things that can that can take you to the to the to the next level. But that culture at, at Manchester United was it like it blew my mind the second that I went up there as a 14-year-old trialist player and you just fell in love with the club immediately. You were made to feel and it weren't from a footballing sense, it was just from a, a human sort of sense that you were made to feel so welcome. Everyone seemed so pleased to see you. No one could do too much for you. Everyone wanted to talk to you. And it was an in, incredibly inspiring environment to, to be brought up in. And obviously that all came from Sir Alex Ferguson, who ran the club from top to bottom and the staff that he brought in and knew that if he could get the culture right, he could create something very special, which I think we can all agree certainly, certainly did. Yeah, I apologise in advance for these next two questions. You've probably been asked them a million times. The Beckham, uh, again, something I've been fascinated with, just his approach to extra practice, his approach to his craft. Someone that on the surface looks to, you know, you talked about left foot there. Beckham didn't have a left foot, wasn't a creative dribbler, all these things that he wasn't. But what he was, like the quality of his play, what, what, what type of work would he do and what jumped out to you about Beckham? So probably the first thing that jumped out about Beckham was how hard he worked in every training session physically. There probably wasn't a harder worker then. I don't think we had the the GPS stats and whatnot back then, but 
he ran himself into the ground every day at the pre-season when we done the bleep tests and whatnot, he'd always win. It was not just the fitness levels that psych- psychologically so strong that he just wouldn't give up and keep running and running. But then after every session, he'd have a bag of balls. He'd be practicing free kicks, practicing crossing the ball. And it was just incessant, like a obsession with being the best player that he could, I believe. I don't, didn't know him personally when he was a young boy, but he had some knockbacks, was quite small at the time, maybe didn't get into all the clubs where he went to, but obviously was someone that had got to Manchester United and he was going to get as far as he possibly could there by just working so hard every day. And obviously the the incredible quality that he had was took him to the to the very pinnacle of the game. The environment then from, from youth to pro, which is every... Man United fan and Irish person has a fascination, obviously, with Keane. But the, the, the fascination I have is, and we watched it, and we watched this uh, in the lockdown, we watched the Michael Jordan, the Chicago Bulls, and on the surface, it looks great. Like, you've got a superstar, an alpha character who's running the show and keeping everyone in check. But I can imagine, or can't imagine, being in that environment where that person is putting you under the gun every single day. How did you balance that going into training? And if you made a mistake, he was he was on you right away. Like, did you enjoy it or was it really tough for you? Yeah, so I I was on loan over in Belgium at Royal Antwerp, got called back from there, and I was expecting just to be put back in the reserve team squad because I'd been at Antwerp quite a long time, so United could then get me back. But I went straight back in with the um with the first team, and I remember my first training session, I was Sort of one of the top dogs at Antwerp. I'd be the first name on the team sheet, playing really well out there, and went back with a, a large amount of confidence and went into my first session. And we were doing a possession practice, and I was on Roy's team and gave the ball away a couple of times, and he went absolutely mad at me, like shouting at me, calling me name every name under the sun. I thought, flipping heck, I weren't expecting this coming back into to here. I thought I was going back into the reserve team. Then after the training session, he sort of pulled me over and, and spoke to me saying, but that's, I don't, I don't dislike you. That's just what it is here. Like if I, I'll speak to you exactly the same as I'd speak to any other of the players, because if we want to be elite, if we want to win leagues, if we want to win Champions League, then this is, this is where it happens on the training ground, sort of day in, day out. And that was the environment that it was. It was a really intense environment I was sort of obviously a squad player he didn't play a huge amount of games so I'd be in the training session every day regardless some of the boys that played maybe have a a lighter session at the end of the season again I've not played a huge amount of games but I was exhausted because every day in training was was so intense It, it, it was like the most incredible experience the most incredible learnings over the course of 12, 14 months of just being in, a re- in and around that group. And it was King. This, I've played with players throughout my career that are, that moan a lot. And sometimes you, you just stop listening to them or you tell them to shut up because all they do is moan. But with Roy Keane, you would never, no one would ever do that to him because he weren't asking you to do anything that he wasn't doing. Because every day in training, his standards were were so high that he expected everyone else to be at the same level. So it was, like I say, it was incredibly intense, but a, like an amazing, amazing experience. It was the reason that the club had the success that it did was because 
of what training was like because there was 20 odd players of, of world class ability that could go that could all be in the team playing against each other every day every one of them wanted to win whether it was a possession drill or a small sided games and that was just what it was at the club at the time it's really interesting because you never hear that that follow up you never hear about that there do you when you're in the media and stuff like that but that's probably the you mentioned there about the balance between Manchester United being a culture that cared and that was a loving culture and then caring enough about someone to following up and explaining there that's big time yeah, and I think that's what like Roy King was the the ultimate captain. Like, don't get me wrong, he was absolutely fearsome on the pitch and on the training ground. There was no difference between how he trained and how he played. He wouldn't be shy to kick someone in training, one of his teammates who was probably worth fifty odd million quid and go straight through him. But that's what he expected people to do to him as well if the ball was there to be run won to go and win it. I remember a few of us young lads used to sort of have a joke with each other that when we used to go into the small-sided games, we used to hope and pray we weren't on Roy's team because you knew if he got beat, you'd, you'd, you'd get the, get a bit of a bollocking about it. But it was he was so supportive to the whole dressing room, but particularly the young players who would take us under our wing, look after us and that sort of thing. And he was like the ultimate captain at the time. And if you sort of cross that with the ultimate manager at the time. I think them two, obviously, wonderful, wonderful players that were also there at the time. But I think those two had a, were massively influential, uh, influential, of course, of what, what the club achieved. Hello, coaches. We'll take a quick break here. If you're gearing up for the new season, we've got some stuff for you. We've just released a new ebook, 20 Attack and Set Piece Corner Kick Routines. Full ebook with diagrams, detail on the movements and the routines. And then there's also videos to go alongside it. It's available now on the website, modernsoccercoach.com slash shop. We've also a new ebook out, 20 attack and training session plans, all full session plans, all principle based, build up play, midfield combination play, final third play. Some great ideas for the new season. We've also got the books, detail, and some webinars there too. Please check it out, modernsoccercoach.com slash shop. Thank you. You've done some great stuff in, in interviews and, and highlighting the psychological side and, and challenges that you had. And, and it was like I've, I've really enjoyed reading that there, the, the vulnerability you've had to, to be really honest about your experiences. And I, I always wondered, or I've, I've, I wonder if knowing what we know now about psychology and about know how mainstream it's all almost become to talk and come forward about your your issues or challenges that we're all having if you were to go back then to that tomorrow or today would you approach that differently with getting help or speaking to different people or, or how would you deal with it yeah that's a question that I've, I've been asked a few times i think obviously in hindsight which is a, a fantastic thing you deal with every situation in the most positive way you possibly can but if I sort of think of myself but if I was a person that I am now back then of course I'd certainly seek help talk about it and sort of get through it that way but if I was the same person I was an incredibly sort of shy introverted young man who didn't want to bring any attention to himself didn't want to I was so embarrassed by what was going on in terms of what was spoken about the way I looked that I, I probably wouldn't speak out about it now if I was the same person but of course 
thankfully things have, have moved on and I think we are so much more open to sort of appreciating how important our mental health is, probably the most important thing that we have and just dealing with any issues that we have in the best possible way to to clear your mind and be able to to live your life in the, in a normal way. But I think like if I sort of people say, why didn't anyone help you at the club at the time? It's because no one at the club knew. I'm pretty sure what that football club was, if I would have spoke about it, they 100% would have supported me completely to get through my issues. But it was my responsibility to talk about. And at that time, it wasn't something that I, that I thought I could or believed that I could and was so embarrassed about it, never chose to speak about it openly. Really, really interesting. Uh, when you left United, the you talked about almost the freedom because it's so intense. There was a freedom to your game almost. Um, I really enjoyed hearing that. When what what did you miss the most though? I mean, you must have been there. Must have been a big aspect of like almost a step down in terms of those standards. Did you miss that? I think I missed Manchester United because it was where I grew up, where I spent probably the best years of my life as a apprentice 16 to 18 just left school knocking about with my peers every day it was a brilliant time I think it was the, it was time for me to leave I sort of played a, a little bit during the 2000-2001 season then suffered some sort of problems with my my groins and pelvis which resulted in surgery and the one sort of fantastic aspect to my play was the ability to to run with a ball in terms of I probably didn't develop my game enough beyond that in terms of Bex could get the ball off the centre half and play a 70-yard through ball and change the game. Giggsy was more than comfortable playing inside and getting space there. And my sort of strength was to, like going back to that playground player of getting the ball and running towards the goal or to the touchline as fast as I possibly could. And when I came back from the surgery, I didn't have the same speed that I had before. And that was that was how I stood out. And I could notice whether it be in training or in games that I wasn't getting the joy that I once was in terms of I weren't getting past people. I weren't able to take that extra step to step inside and then carry the ball. And the manager was completely sort of open and honest with me, spoke to me in his office and said, like, without the, the speed that you've got, that ability to change direction, run really quickly, you're not going to have a career here. And it's going to be really tough for you to to have a career at the top, top level of the game, which of course is really hard to hear. But at the same time, you sort of know it in your mind that you can, you can see it day in and day out when you're playing. So it was, it was probably, I was happy in a way to leave because I just knew that my journey was going to be somewhere else. It was going to take a different path. So it was certainly time to leave. I absolutely love my time at United. It was probably quite, happy to get away because I knew I was at a club where I was never really going to play. So it was an opportunity to go and experience football somewhere else. Which, to be fair, I did thoroughly enjoy all the, the different clubs that I that I played for throughout my career. I promise no more Man United questions. We'll, we'll talk about <laughs> <laughs> football fun factors. You mentioned about the, the highs and lows about football. And, and obviously, even though we know that, like everyone wants to be footballer today six-year-old kids that's what they dream about and that hasn't changed in the last 30 40 years but now that we know more and youth structures are becoming better and we're better equipped and better educated what are some 
non-negotiables that you have at the football fun factory that that you want players to have in their experience with you guys? I think the most important thing is obviously in the name, the Football Fun Factory, is for the children to have fun. I think what our programmes are all about is any child to experience football, fantastic football coaching, whether they're a gifted young child who plays in grassroots development centres, whatever, or a child that's never played football before. And it's our coach's challenge to make sure that, that every child gets equal attention, that every child gets told what they're doing fantastically well and for every child to leave the pitch at the end of the session with a with a smile on their face because they've enjoyed the experience, whether that be in a footballing sense, in a social sense, or in sort of a the, what they've done in terms of helping someone or something like that, where all of our sessions are built around using football as a as a vehicle to develop positive life skills just as much as football skills at the at the end of all of our sessions our coaches hang out hand out a blue card to a to a participant who showed the most incredible human qualities during that session so it's whether they've helped another child up because they've hurt themselves help get the equipment in tell someone they've done really well and just to really encourage that it's not all about that little boy or girl who scored 20 goals in a session or whatever it may be that everyone is equal at the sessions it is all around participation for all and in sort of festering a love for the game regardless of your ability so you start playing football at two three four years old and that enjoyment is so important like in anything that you do if you enjoy something you tend to to carry on doing it so it's, it's all about a love of the game but of course the game looks completely different we run football tot sessions for two to five year olds that's held in our inflatable football pitch with big massive huge footballs little goals that sort of thing where that isn't football to you or I but for that two three-year-old that's football and that's why they love it and hopefully they'll take that into the next stage of their footballing world as they go out and play normal football and that that initial attachment to the game is why they why they fell in love with it so it's um it's certainly hugely removed from sort of the pro professional football industry, but it, it is all around. Every child having an opportunity to to enjoy the game for whatever that looks like to them. When did you realise that that's the direction that you wanted to go post-play? And, you know, a lot of people go into management, media, even academies. Like, very rarely do people go into that, that niche of, young, young, fun-driven football. What was it or when did you realise that was the direction? Yeah, so when I um, when my career came to, to an end, I went through my coaching qualifications, doing all them, and got a job at, um, at a, in an academy at a local club. But probably I'd not really dealt with my career finishing. I found that a real sort of challenge, of a real loss of identity, always being known as, a football player probably from the age of about 10 when I was playing in the local parks and scoring a lot of goals. And I found it a real challenge of where I really sat in the world and sort of probably done all my coaching qualifications too quickly, just got through them all as it were, took loads of lessons from them, but probably didn't take term, time to appreciate the learnings before moving on to the next one and got a job at, um, at an academy. And it should have been 
like a dream job, but it just wasn't, it wasn't what I thought it would be. I didn't really enjoy it. And I, I think the fact, coupled with the fact that I've not dealt with the end of my career, I just got sort of sick of myself, really. I'd be on the side of a football pitch, just shouting, sick of the sound of my own voice, sort of telling the players what to do and that sort of thing. And it, I just knew it wasn't for me. It wasn't a route that I wanted to go down. I had no interest in being a manager of a first team. That wasn't for me. I thought what would suit me, what I quite enjoyed was working with young players, developing them. But then it just wasn't right. And then a couple of my former colleagues were just in the process of setting up the Football Fun Factory and spoke to them about it in detail. And it really caught my imagination because it just took me back to to my early experiences playing football. And I can't remember any sort of tactical or technical information I was given as a seven, eight-year-old. But I remember just running around, chasing the ball with a big smile on my face. And I, and I fell in love with it. And that opportunity to to do that and put that real enjoyment back into to football and probably just importantly, regardless of ability, because I think at professional clubs, in, even in grassroots clubs, we do build it around the the most gifted children of that age where sometimes some of the other kids get, their experience gets tainted along the way because they they never experienced being the the main player or whatnot. So to give equal attention to each child. So it was, um, I was really excited when I spoke to them to get involved, then set up sessions for it in my local area where I grew up in the village college that I went to school. And it felt like sort of giving something back to the local community that was so proud to have come from as well so there was sort of a, a multitude of reasons but it just it just felt right and a, a really rewarding organization to be involved in those life skills that you talk about there you mentioned there about the blue card and about giving recognizing maybe it's good manners like what, what are what are some other life skills that that you're looking to teach at that early age so I think it's sort of the communications, a massive one, sportsmanship's a huge thing, sort of even stuff like the importance of hydration. Obviously, we've had the, the hot weather recently over here. So it's just little things that we drop in. We have a word of a week every week that our coaches will then sort of work around that to, to, to really just drive some lessons into it, but not not like a school lesson or anything like that where we're we're preaching or anything like that, just talking about the positive aspects of the word of the week and how we can go about achieving them through football. And then when the football session's finished, how you can you can think about them in your everyday life as well. Yeah, my, my kids, uh, I have a six-year-old and a three-year-old and they're starting now their football journey and in, in different types of programmes and I don't know whether I'm I'm horrified by it or whether I think it's good. I, I don't know. I'm a, the jury's still out of me. Whether but the parents, the parents sitting watching, hey, I'm do the same, you know. But now it seems that parents are becoming part of the experience with the young kids over in America, definitely. And from what I hear, that's kind of moving in that direction in in England and the UK. Is is what do you do with the? Is there a communication with the parents? Are they involved in it as well? Yeah, so in our TOT sessions, uh, the session for two to five-year-olds, the first 15 minutes of that session is always free play. So obviously, from mum or dad, usually their first experience of football to be in the pitch and just see them kicking their first ball, scoring their first goal is obviously 
fantastic. I think what I've found in sort of elite football, academy football, etc., is it it's usually a case of keep the parents as far away as as possible. But in reality, of course, the parents are without doubt the most important people in these young kids' lives. So we find it really important to to have the parents involved as much as possible, not so much in terms of in the session for the older children when they're sort of six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12 years old, but communicating exactly what we're doing to them and why we're doing it, of how this isn't a development programme in terms of we're not attached to any professional clubs. We're not going to get your child to, to be the next Lionel Messi, whoever it is, but it is around us positively impacting their lives as much as we can and educating the parents of why it is exactly what we're doing. Yeah, your uh, son just signed for Cambridge recently. Yeah, so yeah, he's um he's a goalkeeper, so I'm not sure where ah. um, where he got that from. Probably saving all the shots from me in the garden when he was younger, give me give him a bit of confidence. Yeah, so both my children are my eldest just signed his first professional contract at Cambridge, and my my youngest has just finished his GCSEs and started his scholarship at the club. So it's um. It's obviously in fantastic watching them play. It's sort of having been in the industry, you can sort of lend a sort of supportive ear. I don't, I'm not one of the parents, a pushy parent. I just enjoy watching them play. One of the biggest lessons I ever learned, in fact, in football, was when my eldest, who's now 19 years old, started playing in a local grassroots team at probably six years old. I was still a professional player myself and I expected him to play as a professional player, to work as hard as he can. And it got to the point where he didn't want me to take him because I'd be at him all the time. And that's probably the biggest lesson I've ever learned because that truly did break my heart. The the thing that we all love together is football and the fact that he didn't want me to take him. And it sort of made me think about both coaching and parenting at the same time where you have to let your children play and experience, make their own mistakes and, play how they want to play. You don't know exactly what they want out of the game. It might be social aspects. It might be to become a professional footballer at the end of the day. But I've certainly learnt my lessons. And from the age of six, let him spread his own wings. And wings and absolutely, there's nothing better than watching your, your kids play football. But more enjoy, importantly, not play football, but to enjoy the game. Is he the same type of player you are in terms of creativity, or is he be, is he a little bit more structured? And the the little one, he's a a centre midfield player. He's got a lot more structure than me in terms of. He's probably not as quick as I was back then, but had certainly got a better better range of passing. But like, it, it's such a incredibly tough industry to have a career in, and it's around managing expectations. And I think what can get lost in professional football at times throughout the academy where the the destination comes the be all and end all that the child's going to go on and have a career where in, in reality all that matters is that journey that they whether they come out of that game at 16 19 or 35 years old that they've had a fantastic experience and and loved it and have made loads of learnings from it so I'm not certainly not carried away that my kids are going to have a career in professional football but I've loved seeing them enjoy where they've got to so far. And I'm sure whether they play for the local village team, a grassroots team, or end up at 
Man United, I'm sure I'll continue enjoying watching them do what they what they love doing as much as I did as a as a youngster. Yeah, and this this is fascinating. Um, because my my wife and I argue. She she's no football by sports background, but she was in her family there was massive academic pressure. Um, in my house there wasn't really. I was just I was okay academically, and that was good enough. We're now talking about how we're going to frame. You know, like oh, if a, if you got a B or if you got a C and 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 I wonder if that then creeps into sport. And I want to ask you, like, when those dinner time conversations with with two boys that are playing at competitive level football, are you asking, did you win today? Are you asking, did you have fun today? Like, what what's the what type of questions are you asking about how they how they got on? Yeah, it's always the last thing they do before they get out the car, and when they get back in the car, I always ask if they enjoyed it, and if they said yes. That's good enough for me. If they want to talk about the game and get my opinion of it, I'm more than happy to to offer that. But I don't sort of speak about it unless they that's what they want to talk about, sort of thing. I think my um my wife certainly gets sick of dinner times when all the talk is about football and their day and what's happening in the Premier League and who's signing for who. But other than that, it is quite a a relaxed sort of environment that we try and have in the house because they they are both in a well an elite environment in terms of a professional football club and it's they need to to find their own way and if it's the right thing for them at the end of the day yeah the the, the parent the parent aspect of it really really interesting just talking talking about dad last night he was talking about uh beckham's child came on at the weekend and phil neville's kid come on and now it seems that this united group now there's a robbie savage as a kid as well yeah yeah the question that I wanted to ask was this love of the game and, and as a parent who, you know, you kind of do want your kid to do as well as they can. And I'm sure everyone wants their kid to play for Manchester United growing up and even Cambridge clubs, the professional contracts are really, really big deal, really, really hard to get. What what advice would you have for a parent who's got a high achiever as a kid and wants them to do well, but wants them to have that love of the game that you need to get through the good and the bad? Yeah, I think it is all around what how you speak to and that and that sort of thing. I think I my experience of a child growing up was my parents didn't get to all the games, they didn't come to all the games. When they come to a game, they didn't say anything about it. They didn't really un, well, didn't like say you were rubbish today, you were good today, and that sort of thing. And I think it is around sort of just being supportive, being around them, answering questions if they've got to ask them sort of quiz them at how they're finding it and that sort of thing but I think it does it can get a bit much and I've experienced myself with parents that have shouted from the side of the pitch that's not good enough and that sort of thing when in reality if they're in an elite environment if they've made a mistake they know that they've made a mistake and it's up to them to to treat that mistake in a positive way because we don't learn anything until we've made a mistake trying to do it and hoping hoping that the the coaches are supporting their development and sort of challenge them the way they need to be challenged but I think as a as a parent of a child in an elite environment you have to to, to trust the coaches to to develop the children and probably not coach the child but offer obviously emotional support for your children. You mentioned that before about the qualifications and one of the questions I had for you was when you're hiring for the football fun factory and you've you're getting 20 resumes or 20 applications. I'm guessing that you're not looking at at 
who's got what badges? Like, what are some personality traits that you're looking for in your coaches? Yeah, I think the be all and end all of the the individuals that we're look at, hoping to recruit, continuing to recruit at the football fun factory is that ability to engage and inspire children. We've got a huge amount of coaches that range from level one qualified to UEFA A qualified, but the the UEFA A qualified aren't any better than at delivering our sessions in the level one because it is all around that that personality that feel at the children that feel at ease that enthusiasm to to coach children that sort of real passion for coaching children and developing children regardless of their ability that's uh, certainly the most important traits that we're looking for rather than a group of 50 UEFA licensed coaches we get a lot of the time people with that sort of qualification are looking more at the development side of the game which is absolutely fine and fantastic if they if that's uh sort of route that they want to go down. Brilliant. Um, is, it, is it a challenge to, to have this, you know, especially at the young age group, how you tear in a little bit of freedom and just, to, you mentioned there about free play. Is, is that something that's a challenge to balance the free play and the structure when you're, when you're designing those, ex, those sessions? Yeah. So all of our, our, all of our sessions for five to 12 year olds have got the same structure in terms of, on arrival, the children go straight into arrival games because you'll know probably better than me. That's what kids are always asking. Can we play a game now? Can we play a game now? So we try and play a game immediately on arrival to to engage the kids. Then we go into a, a fun session and 99% of the time, each of the child will have a ball each for that fun session to, to manage the difference between the children. Then we go back into a game then into a slightly more development session, but again, with an emphasis being on fun. And again, that'll be a ball each to to offer different challenges for the different level of child that's playing, then back into the game. So that one hour session absolutely sort of flies by because we're, we're not having long sort of coaching interludes. We are trying to keep the children moving for the hour and not stopping, starting, stopping, starting for the, the top sessions, we have a 15-minute free play with the parents then a 30-minute structured session. But I use the word structured very loosely because, as you can imagine, at that age, one of the kids is crying to mum, one of them wants a drink, one of them wants to go to the toilet. But we try and, try and in, embrace the chaos to a certain extent and just make it an, an enjoyable experience for for the parents, but most importantly, to the, um, the children. Brilliant, brilliant. Uh, last couple for you. Uh, your leadership role now uh, with the Football Fun Factory. What have you taken in terms of leadership and management and the business side? What have you taken from the way Sir Alex Ferguson managed people and organisations? Yeah, and I think that hit the nail on the head. Managing people—that that is what we all are—and sort of building relationships with people is the most important thing that we all do at at the Football Fun Factory. There's no sort of hierarchy no one's in charge of anyone else I don't expect anyone to do something that I wouldn't do so I think it is all around making sure and that is a huge lesson lesson from Manchester United and Alex Ferguson who had such an incredible relationship don't get me wrong he weren't always easy on you but you knew that he cared for you and because you knew that he cared you'd want to go the the extra mile for him work harder than you ever thought you possibly could for him because if he praised you there was no better feeling in the world it used to make the hairs on your back of your neck stand up so I think obviously 
I'm not comparing myself to Sir Alex in any stretch of the imagination, but I think a massive part of our organisation is the relationships that we, we have with each other. Do you, do you do a lot of staff training, staff feedback sessions, or, or how do you facilitate that? Yeah, so we do a lot of sort of online training because our coaches are sort of up and down the country now. We have a onboarding day where we have <clears throat> sort of cohorts of 10 head coaches that are launching their business at the, the same time, come to us for a couple of days training and then sort of look to build. Obviously, you can't build in a relationship face to face is so much easier than doing it over a Zoom call and whatnot. So it's really trying to make the most out of them times and sort of encouraging the team, the team mythology as well. So we're all we're all in it together. We, whatever success we have, we have together. Whatever struggles we have, we have together. And we, we are all in it together. So it is um, so important and it's such a, a challenging role in terms of the distance that we have before between our head coaches. But to develop that environment and that culture to know that there's su support mechanisms without within the whole team. Luke, top class. I've loved it. I've, I've really enjoyed following the, the Football Fun Factory just on Twitter. And so you guys put out some great content and, and the messaging is really, really powerful and strong. So keep up the great work. If there are any coaches that are that are looking to find out a bit more information and maybe get involved with you, what's the best steps? Yeah, if, if any of your listeners want to drop me an email, that's luke at thefootballfunfactory.co.uk. Please feel free to do so. And I'm more than happy to to share any further information. Geez, you'll be bombarded now with Man United questions. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll let it, I'll let it dump it out. <laughs> yeah. uh, great. Luke, thanks so much. I really appreciate you coming on and, and best of luck, everything. Thanks for having me, Gary. It's a pleasure speaking to you. Thank you for listening to the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. For more coaching topics, sessions, and resources, Head on over to Coach Kernine on Facebook or visit the website at www.modernsoccercoach.com.